Now let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our scripture readings for today are from the New Revised Standard Version Bible, and we begin with Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no offspring, and so a slave born in my house is to be my heir. But the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. No one but your very own issue shall be your heir. He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven. And count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. Our next reading is from Acts, chapter 13, verses 16 through 25. So Paul stood up with a gesture and began to speak. You Israelites and others who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our ancestors and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. For about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. After he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance for about 450 years. After that, he gave them judges until the time of the prophet Samuel. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for forty years. When he had removed him, he made David their king. In his testimony about him, he said, I have found David, son of Jesse, to be a man after my heart who will carry out all my wishes. Of this man's posterity, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had already proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his work, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but one is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of the sandals on his feet. Our final reading today is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 4, verses 16 through 27. When he came to Nazareth, Where he had been brought up, Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is is not this Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Doctor, cure yourself. And you will say, do hear also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. 
But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. This is the word of God to the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I've had this question arise in conversation, and I thought I would address it as part of this series, because this can be something that can get a little confusing, and we can get tripped up on it. And I titled this, Out with the Old, because sometimes there's this feeling that if we have the New Testament, it's the newer, it's the better, we don't need the old. It's old and been replaced, so we can just tuck it aside and not worry about it. And that's actually a rather widespread view in many areas. People often think that the old means no longer valid, no longer needed. The naming of them as old and new can give us a negative feeling about the old. Because as we're off to say, out with the old and with the new. But we really don't want to do that in this case. The reason being that instead of thinking of the Old Testament as old and replaced by the new, the old is the established. And the new is new because it's built on top of the old. And so if we think about it as a house... The Old Testament is our very solid foundation that we build the New Testament on. And I picked a few readings today just to sort of highlight all of the interconnectedness. You'll notice that there's not really a theme that runs through all three readings for today. And you might be sitting there thinking, trying to connect the dots between them, and it may not be working, but I do have a reason that they're connected. They all intertwine together to tell a full narrative of the way that the Bible is spread throughout and influences are found all over the place. And the, the new reaches back into the old constantly. That if we left parts out, the narrative would become very difficult to follow because we wouldn't have any of the references that we build on. We begin with a reading from Genesis, the very first book in our Bible. And we have God's covenant with Abraham, then known as Abram. This covenant is referenced plenty of times in the New Testament. And it's really the basis of everything that comes after. That the covenant made with Abraham is the covenant made with Israel is why Israel becomes the promised nation, why everything happens the way it does. The flow of our narrative stems very much from this covenant with Abraham. Because it's Abraham's line that leads through Isaac and Jacob, Joseph, David, and David to Jesus. 
We see this in other places, this interconnectedness. Because when we look in our reading from Acts, Paul goes through a litany of events and things that have happened. And he talks about what happened in the wilderness with Moses. And when the people came to the land and they got judges, and about the time the prophet Samuel told the people that he would reluctantly anoint a king for them, and how David eventually becomes king, and how it's David's line that leads to Christ. And what's interesting here is that Paul walks through most of the Old Testament in this statement, almost all of our narratives, beginning in Exodus. And after Exodus, we hear about the law through Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and up to the point of entering into the promised land. And we have Joshua, where the people come into the land. And we have judges, where judges arise to help rescue the people of Israel before there's a king. And in the books of Samuel, in which we have Samuel appointing a king for the people, and the tales of those kings come through in the books of Kings and Chronicles, And so Paul walks through almost all the narrative sections of the Old Testament in one go. Just like that, there's a reference to almost everything, and without the Old Testament, we'd be lost. And then we come to our gospel reading. And it helps to make a connection to another section of the Bible. Because Jesus reads from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And then he speaks of other prophets, specifically Elijah and Elisha. This plays out in both the narrative books and in the books of the prophets. Isaiah has his own rather lengthy book. There's also Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, all have prophetic books. And the shorter books of Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. And we may not recognize those names at first, but then we remember some of the prophecies that come into play at various times of the year. You might remember some prophecies about Bethlehem of Judah, about the coming Messiah. And what we get isn't just old stories that have been replaced, but we get a foundation that everything in the New Testament is built on with what we have in the old. And I think it's important for us to remember that. Because we sometimes feel that there is a disconnect from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And I can understand that because sometimes when we read some of the things in the Old Testament, we hear stories that can be difficult to understand and hard to interpret, especially when they seem to be at odds with what we have in the New Testament. I would say to read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. But there's a little bit more to that. One of the interesting things that we have in Scripture is the progressive revelation of God's character. It's not that the Old Testament lays out how people understood God and that holds true forever. Quite to the contrary, views evolve. What happens is that we have people trying to understand God. And often they're trying to understand God in a context that is very different from what they're used to. In some of the earliest times, it's trying to understand having only one God. Not something that was terribly common. And as that progresses, it starts as revering God above all other gods. An acknowledgement of other gods. Even in the reading we had from today's reflection, 
we had mention of gods. And that can become a little tricky for us to grasp. Because as time moves on, the belief shifts into believing there is but one God. And that is a shift. And sometimes we don't notice it because we're so used to it that we miss it in our readings. Because we read the Old Testament sometimes the way we read the New Testament, where we're a little more familiar. And often the ideas are a little more concrete because it's a much shorter time period. Not everything is settled in the New Testament, as we so often see, but there's a lot less moving parts than we have throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. Because it can be hard for us to understand the viewpoints of some of those very old narratives. Because we have an understanding and we get sort of set in how we think things are, and when we read them and find out that they're a little bit different, it becomes hard for us. But as we read, we get a continual unveiling of God's character. And most of that is people discovering just how much God loves them. And it's like this continual surprise that they expected God's love to only go so far, but it keeps going further and further. Farther than they ever expected. Until we get that great show of love in Christ. But it's hard to understand that great show of love in Christ without everything that leads up to that moment. It would be like trying to pick up a TV show in the last few episodes. That you watch the last three episodes and think you can put the whole story together. You're missing a lot of context and a lot of background. To help make this point, I picked up one of the Bibles easily at hand. I made sure it wasn't a study Bible because I'd have way more pages to look at. But to give you an idea, picking up the Pew Bible, when we try to find the end of the Old Testament, we don't turn to halfway through. I'm going to hold this out a little bit for you to see here. This is the Old Testament. And here's the New. We've got about 1,500 pages of text over here. And about 450 pages over here. Now out of that, an even smaller section rounds out our gospel accounts. where we spend 
the most time. That is the section that pertains to the four Gospels. Four books of the entire New Testament coming in at just under 200 pages in here. That's a lot of context to be missing. And the New Testament is constantly referencing the Old Testament. Because to them, that's all Scripture was. The New Testament wasn't considered a scripture because it was only things that were in the old that they considered scripture. In just the few readings we have for today, we went through a huge section of the Old Testament, through almost all of the narratives. We went through almost all of it and referenced the prophets. We didn't reference the wisdom books. But they are referenced, and they are there. And that's just in a few choice verses. Matthew begins with a genealogy reference that spans the Old Testament. The epistles are filled with references back to Old Testament names, places, events, everywhere. You can't get very far in the new without seeing the old. So I really do encourage all of you to go read the Old Testament, especially if you have never read it all, especially if it's been a long time since you've read it. And read it however it works for you. Pick up your favorite translation. Read it in book form. Listen to it in audiobook form. Both are good. I use both. Pick it up and read yourself or use a study guide. If you have difficulty in trying to just read straight through the Old Testament, no one can blame you. It's a difficult thing to do. Some people can't read straight through. I am one of those people that can just make it through But there's times when it's easier to move around, and there are study plans that allow you to read the entirety of the Bible by moving through it in different sections. And if you want to know more about it, come talk to me, and I will find a study plan that works for you. Because I don't want you to ever feel stuck, like you are in a place in the Old Testament and it bogs you down so much that you quit reading. Because there will be places in the Old Testament that can feel sluggish. And I say that lovingly, with no disrespect to the text at all. But sometimes you can only dig through so many lists of generations, so many repetitions of measurements, before you start to wonder what you've read and what you haven't, and double back, trying to figure out your place, and you start to rub your eyes and wonder what it is you're actually reading. It happens. But there's ways to avoid that. Because it's all there for a reason. 
Because everything there adds something to this enormous story of how we interact with God. And in that, nothing in our relationship with God is ever old. Whether it be in the Old or New Testament, it's all about that relationship that we have together with God through Christ. And so to answer the question, should we ignore the old? Should we be out with the old? Never. Because it's the foundation that lets us fully understand God's relationship with us. Even if the old is changed, even if the old is rejected, even if we are told that we have heard it said, but I say to you, it's good to know what was said. Because the overarching story is the story that tells us about God's relationship with us. It builds us up and helps us to understand just how strong God's love is, to understand just how much God has reached out to us throughout all generations. And it highlights the importance of Christ in our lives today by helping us understand the story of how we got to where we are now. And that story continues to play out in our lives today. So I would never say that the old is not worth having. But instead, know that the entirety of the Bible is there for us to be able to learn and grow, to gain wisdom and further understanding, to see the depths of love and to see how we can grow in that love. And that we have a foundation that strengthens us, that guides us, that leads us in all things through all parts of the Bible. And so let it be something that we take as a whole, knowing that there is always something more to be gained when we turn to the word of God and seek its depths. Because be it old or be it new, it's always good. Amen.